Thank you for joining IEB There. And now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. Welcome to IAB There. My name is Brad Behrens. I am the Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. It is Tuesday, May 5th, and our topic today is the impact of coronavirus on shopping behaviors. We will be joined momentarily by Sarah Hofstetter. She is the president and board member, newly fledged, at Profitero. And we're going to get into what Profitero is uh, and what she's doing over there. Sarah had a long career as uh, ultimately the chair, uh, CEO, president of 360i, Really thrilled to have her with us today. Sarah Hofstetter, thank you so much for coming to IAB there. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. It's great to reconnect. So we're going to be open to questions uh, as we go. In order to ask a question, please pose it on Twitter. And that would be asking you to use the hashtag one word, all caps, IAB there. Uh, post that. Our team is monitoring Twitter and will feed the questions to us. Uh, Sarah, you, I've only, was only in this job uh, for about two weeks uh, before we closed the offices and went remote, coronavirus changed everything. Um, I had at least two weeks. You started this job during, corona, what, during coronavirus. What's that like? Like what, I mean, you've started other jobs before, but this must be a doozy. Tell, tell me the story there. A doozy, that's a good word. Um, well, I, ha I do have an unfair advantage. Um, I was getting to know the company for quite some time before I joined full-time. So um, Brian Weiner, my partner, and I were consulting um, along with uh, the newly named CTO. So we were consulting for the company since January. So we've had the opportunity to get to know um, the leadership. I even had the opportunity to speak to some clients just to understand their pain points and you know what they're going through. Um, so January and February, I actually spent a big chunk of my time on the road getting to know people, which admittedly has been a huge saving grace. I wish I could have been to all the Profitero offices. Um, that I did not get to do. It's a little harder to get to Shanghai, Tokyo, and Belarus, but I did make it to the UK and I spent a lot of time in our Boston office. So I do have an unfair advantage. That said, starting this, this job in the middle of all of it and doing it from home certainly uh, presents a set of challenges, but the, we're all going through the same thing together. And so we're, we're all operating with, this, with, with, with the same stressors. I'm still cleaning my toilet just like the next guy, right? Uh, I actually, there's been a, uh, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have ever wished coronavirus on the world, but for me, uh, there, there has been a silver lining, which is when everyone's remote, then you know, I live in Oregon and most of the team is in New York. So I'm not just the big giant head on the screen. Everybody's a big giant head on the screen. So I, that's been convenient for me. Has that been, have you been able to get closer to say, the Boston office than you think you would have working from New York? Um, well, the, I mean, I plan to be on the road a lot. I had recently become an empty nester. So I was pretty committed to the fact that I'd be on, on, the, on the road a lot. That said, with employees and clients all over the world, um, this democratization of video, I guess, has been helpful pro probably in, in that way. So let's dig in. What exactly is uh, Profitero? Like, what is it? What is this mission? What do you want to do with it? Why, why did you take this job? Um, well, I'll tell you what it is, and I'll tell you why I took the job. So okay. um, the what the company does is it is the command center for e-commerce analytics. 
So it's meant to be the source of truth for e-commerce decision-making, whether that's, you know, understanding price, promotion, sales, share, um, hundreds of different data points. And so we do this for manufacturers, generally manufacturers that have a lot of products that they're selling online, more often across a lot of different retailers. And uh, the reason I took the job is because it, it actually has a lot of similarities to the things I loved at 360i, which is finding businesses where consumer adoption is high and marketer readiness is not as high and helping accelerate that readiness. And so we did that with search, you know, close to 20 years ago. Uh, and it was social, um, as you and I have spoken many, many times over the years. And I had even started an Amazon practice back in 2017, admittedly with more of a media focus, and so when I was looking at my next chapter, I was looking at like, what are these newer um, areas where there's a disconnect between the consumer and the marketer? And I mean, I could have done e-gaming, I could have done AI, e-commerce felt much more right to me for a number of reasons, um, despite my son's um, ability to really get me up to speed on the e-gaming front, because he's quite the aficionado. But that being said, e-commerce much more akin and not just because I like to shop, but because you know, being on the Campbell's board and having worked with so many CPGs and consumer electronics companies over my career, I kind of understand the businesses and I understand the pain points and I also understand the org design. Um, and so I feel like the, for a company that is so rooted in technology and strong engineering, I'm complementing that with a skill set that can help them accelerate their growth. So the opportunity here is that you're bridging the knowledge gap between Profitero and marketers is what I'm hearing. You should be my spokesperson, yes. Okay. Um, so you're coming into a analytics-driven, uh, e-com-driven company at a moment when uh, everything is changing about the way that people are shopping. So. Uh, last week, we had uh, Julie Van Ullen from Rakuten sharing some insights. You are presumably sitting on an extraordinary amount of data about what's changing. What's changing? What, what, what are the, and, and particularly for brands, how should brands be thinking differently about connecting with their customers and their, their future customers, uh, given the data that you're sitting on? Yeah, I mean, the data is absolutely extraordinary and what we have line of sight into can really help brands make or break. Um, one of the things that we've been doing is uh, we've had this report called out, called the, uh, the quarantined consumer. And literally it's just measuring like Amazon searches um, against Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So week over week, you can kind of see what becomes important to people. Um, so, you know, before it was all disinfectants and wipes and then there was this moment a few weeks ago where face masks started uh, surging. But then there are like the things that aren't maybe nearly as natural to consider like bread, bread machines and, and coffee makers yes. natural. Um, maybe what's not as natural is wax warmers for people who are waxing their legs. Yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, or candles, um, not for a blackout, but candles like for soothing um, and for, shut up my phone and I didn't shut up a landline because I never thought somebody would call me on a landline. Um, so, you know, things like that. Um, so being able to track all of that week over week, I think is giving us a lot of line of sight into the psyche of the consumer, which I think has been fascinating, which by the way, toilet paper has been pretty much steady for the past six weeks. 
Right. Well, and I'm sure Sigmund Freud would have lots of things to say about that. But let's let's just dig in on Maslow for a moment, which is it. It sounds like it, we started sort of lower down in the hierarchy with you know toilet paper. Are we seeing the sort of consumer intent and interest moving up to more luxury items? Or like we've got the toilet paper taken care of at least for a week, and now we're moving on up, and now we're going to worry about audiobooks or I mean, what? What's the dig in on the Maslow thing for a moment? Because I was curious sure. about that. So like you said, you go to the basics and it's like disinfecting, protecting. Then you go to like your pantry panic, which is when you start loading up on all your shelf-stable goods. And I, I don't know, I must have bought like a few dozen pounds of beef jerky. Just why? It's just, you, you, you feel like you're in control. You're totally not, FYI. Um, then, then you kind of move up into the cabin fever. And that's when we started seeing, and there's been lots of press about this, you know, the puzzles and the beer. Sure and the wine and the trampolines. So huge surge, kids are bouncing off the wall, get a trampoline if you've got a backyard and they can be bouncing in a little uh, uh, a little bit more um, fresh air. Um, from cabin fever, you move up to like pimping the office. So we started seeing a surge for webcams, bigger computer monitors, you know, hmm. I don't know about a lot of the other folks on this call, but my vision has been getting a hell of a lot worse. Um, and so I had to upgrade my monitor so that I wasn't wearing my glasses and squinting all day. Um, insourcing is like another one as you go up there. So insourcing would be your bread makers and, and your coffee makers because you can't get your Starbucks run. And then like once you get to like a little bit more of that self-actualization, um, you might move more towards indulgence, which happens to coincide very nicely with Mother's Day. Um, but there's also even just self-care as it relates to workouts, lots of searches for workout equipment. It's really actually hard to find free weights right now for those mm. who do you, does uh, Profitero cover groceries by any chance? Yes, we, we have a lot, many, many clients in the grocery space. So, cause one, uh, a friend was speculating that we're going to start to see a run on meat because there's so much in the press about. Uh, Smithfield, for example, being a source of infection uh, in one of the Dakotas and, you know, the, the supply chain for meat and for butchery here in the country. So I just didn't, was curious if you were seeing anything bubbling up in groceries that might be of interest. Well, I think, you know, more, more holistically, I mean, I, I've, I've heard plenty, plenty of conversation of, about that. Again, comment on a specific brand or, or anything like that. No, of course not. I'm, but but there is a direct correlation between the stuff you see in the news and the search on, on Amazon. So when there were reports about factories closing, you started seeing an increase in, you know, in demand. And then, you know, it creates this pandemonium and this vicious cycle of like, hey, maybe you really didn't need nearly as much of whatever it is you, you were ordering. So um, we're definitely seeing increase, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the supply chain, for example. Yeah, we, we actually uh, over-indexed on the toilet paper in the Barron's household and could build an addition to our house just out of bags of toilet paper. Uh, so, so yes, I, I, I have a vivid personal experience with this. It, there was a wonderful uh, Wall Street Journal article about you and Brian and your arrival at Profitero, and he had a quote in it, which I sort of wanted to dig in on, which he said, uh, COVID doesn't change anything about the e-commerce thesis. It just accelerates adoption by years. Even when this pandemic is over, things are not going back to the old normal. Uh, and I, I certainly have, uh, we have a data set, a joint venture between IAB and the Center for the Digital Future, uh, where we're seeing a bunch of expectations 
that uh, things are not going to go go back. They're going to go forward. Um, I think movie theaters are going to be particularly hard pressed to recover their audience. Although uh, that's not the case in China, um, but uh, China is newer to movie theaters than we are here in the U.S. Digging in on Brian's quote, what do you what do you think is permanent? Uh, we're not holding this you to this, but just at the moment, if you had, were were to be prognosticating, what do you think is going to be the most indelibly changed? Well, one of the things that helped me make my decision to join Profitero well before, you know, the, this this anything was happening even in Wuhan was the fact that we had seen this major uptick in the idea of buying online and picking up in store. Some people call it BOPIS, some people call it click and collect. And we had already started seeing that. And there was some stat that I had seen that two thirds of Americans had tried it. And that, that to me was very surprising. I had tried it, but I look at myself as an early adopter when my family members are doing it, who are not as tech savvy, no offense at home. It, you know, you get to that point where you're like, okay, I think there's a trend here that's happening and that's not necessarily making its way to the C-suites of all of the companies that are, that are doing it. And one of the reasons why Click and Collect wasn't really being picked up so much as a trend is because a lot of that fulfillment was happening in store and being reported as same store sales. So even though the, the purchase was digitally initiated, it was fulfilled locally. So it was almost like a, a, a misnomer. So the, the consumer behavior of buying online and picking up in store, buying online and getting contactless delivery was already on the rise. Brian's point about it being accelerated is 100% true because A, you're expanding your demographic. So it's not just early adopters and it's especially um, boomers that are starting this now because they've been told that they need to stay home. And sure. so um, it, it's, a lot, you know, the necessity is the mother of invention. And while my grandparents are not necessarily ordering online, they are virtually ordering online because they text me their Instacart order and then I have to get it sent to them. Um, but, but that being said, there's a, there's a demographic shift to those who are now adopting e-commerce. And there's also a socioeconomic shift. And so you're seeing people, it used to be that e-commerce tended to skew a little higher on the socioeconomic Spectrum. Prime, for, prime over indexes in that way. And that's one of the reasons I've always thought why Amazon bought Whole Foods, because the footprint for Prime and the footprint for, for, footprint for Whole Foods uh, overlapped a great deal. Yeah, but if you start looking at, you know, some of the everyday grocers, the, the Kroger's and the Albertsons, they're seeing tremendous uptick of app downloads and usage. Obviously, Walmart, I think, reported a 460% um, increase in app usage. So, you know, you're, you're seeing this happen. And once, it, it, if the user experience is good, and that's a big if because of the supply chain and inventory management, but if the user experience is good, why wouldn't you do that again? Mm. Now, there are some people who love food shopping. Like I love going up and down the aisles, um, but there's a lot more to e-commerce than food shopping. It just happens to be what we're doing right now. So I think it's all about the habits that you start creating and what changes you end up making consequent to that. So are people gonna go back to their gym memberships when they've just invested in home equipment? I don't know. But mm -hmm. once you start a new habit, and unfortunately we've been kind of, you know, I've been living at home for a while now, there might be certain things that, there might be certain habits that end up happening that people say, hey, you know what? This actually is better and it's not costing me much more and my time is worth it. 
So I, th I think we had, we're going to see some, but I know, I, th I, I think we're going to see, we're going to see two things. One, I think we're going to see more e-commerce adoption. The other thing though, I think that's, that's kind of on the come is replacement and substitution. So if you can't find the brand that you like, that you've been using your entire life and you find something else, you're much more willing to try it now than you ever have before. If you said, I am a loyal user of XYZ product and I can't find it, but you need it, you're going to switch. Same thing would be true with your retailer. So I think that whole idea of lifetime value of a customer um, can really be thrown into some serious question. I don't know if you know the work of Byron, Byron Sharp, but he, a brilliant uh, Australian marketing uh, scholar who wrote a book called How Brands Grow. Sure. And one of his, his statements was that, you know, even the most loyal customer of, say, Crest is going to buy Colgate a good chunk of the time simply because Crest isn't available when that person, when the shopper goes to the store. And we also have been seeing uh, more willingness to try, more willingness to go uh, with what's available because you, know, you don't want to go back to the store at this point. And so, but I, I hadn't heard anyone put it together in terms of sort of new metrics for LTV uh, the way you just did. So that's really fascinating. Um, thank you. Um, so there was another question that I had and I'm losing it uh, right now. Um, oh, uh, it was the click and collect, which is, um, and it led me to this thought, which is, I have too many apps on my phone, and uh, and I have you know I have the Starbucks app for when I get coffee. I have the this app for when I get this. I, I'm I keep thinking that someone is going to figure out the one app to rule them all, so that I can just say, hey, I want coffee, or hey, I want a burger, and have all of the conversion and the payment, and have it be contactless. I don't. This is a, a crazy question that's occurring to me in the middle of the conversation. Do you have any sense that there's app fatigue or app management fatigue? from your data? Um, I don't have any, the, my, my comments are anecdotal. It has nothing to do with what our app uh, or what our tool provides. Um, I think a lot of this is about utility in general. So just speaking as, you know, uh, uh, you someone know, very experienced and who nobody's talking about in general. So. Maybe built a few hacks, maybe drove a few downloads. Um, but you know, I think, I think people are looking for utility and the more utility you can get out of something, the better. Um, that being said, there tends to be consolidation when those things end up happening. I think Instacart is an interesting example of that because they are aggregating delivery from lots of different grocers. Hmm. Um, but, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a sign of things to come. And I think the competition in a lot of these e-commerce apps has been great for the innovation of the user-friendliness what the consumer experience is like, how you're used to shopping. So I actually think it's really good for consumers. I, I am interested in the cons consolidation question uh, and I we'll, be, we'll be tracking it here. So let's, let's get to the Sarah story. Uh, you, know, you were at C360i for almost 14 years, um, many accolades and awards, uh, you know, possibly the moment that was where just the entire uh, industry was riveted uh, on on 360i was the the you can dunk in the dark moment, which was uh, during Super Bowl 2013. And can you can you tell that story? And then that's leading to my next question. So. Sure. So the, I mean, the backstory to this is that we've been working with Mondelez for many years um, and really honing the social media muscle, both between the folks at Mondelez and the folks at 360i and, and other agency partners that we've been working with. 
for many years. And so the muscle memory of finding something culturally relevant and putting an Oreo twist on it was, was not something that was actually brand new. In fact, the prior summer in celebration of the hundredth birthday of Oreo, we did this program called the daily twist and we looked at the news of the day and we figured out how to put a twist on that and on culture. We did this in partnership, like I said, not just with, with, with Montpellier's, but we draft FCB and Starcom Media Vest and Weber Shamwick. And together every single day, we were able to come up with something new and interesting. So when the Super Bowl happened and Montelis was, was an advertiser for the Super Bowl, we had a team that was at the ready to say, okay, how do we make sure that we stay uniquely Oreo? And so when the lights went out, the, the, the team had that muscle memory already. And so within four minutes of the lights going out, we already had the tweet ready to go, which was fabulous. And the reason we waited a whopping 11 minutes before we posted was purely just to make sure that um, nothing bad happened at the Superdome. Um, and, uh, but then we went, we went live with it. But I think the secret behind the whole thing was not just the speed because actually Parker and Gamble was really fast, not as fast as us, we were faster, um, but it's what you do with it afterwards. So I think a good question that we like to ask ourselves always is so what, now what? Okay, so we got the tweet out there, what do we do? Well, everybody's bored. And so we started a major PR campaign to make sure that people were seeing it. And that is really where a lot of that flew. So it wasn't just a matter of like the, the tweet itself, which was fabulous and fast. And the, you know, the team at 3CI was, was fabulous um, along with all of our partners, but it was what you do with it afterwards and how you build on that momentum. And unfortunately it probably spawned a lot of really crappy social media content from a lot of other brands afterwards. Um, but it also made brands more approachable. And I think that that's great. And you got there first. Uh, so, but the, the reason that was a lead up to my next question is, so you had, you know, you, you, and you started talking about this earlier. You've got a long career as a pioneer uh, with search and with social. You were, you know, agency side for a long time. And now here you are at this e-com analytics platform. So pull, pull this together. Like, how does your experience your long experience at 360i, how does it all, how does that make sense or make different sense of what you're doing in Profitero today? I think it's about helping brands navigate where the roads haven't necessarily been clearly defined. And the, you know, the Oreo Super Bowl experience is representative of that in social, but, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have had the opportunity to work with hundreds of brands that were going through their own maturity curve in social. And I think actually that's a really appropriate term. There's a maturity curve. And when I was at 360i, we went through this maturity curve of search and we went through this maturity curve of social. And e-commerce is going through that right now. And there's a much, much, much finer uh, lens being put on it by the C-suite because of COVID, because it's becoming such a big part of overall sales. I think P&G recently reported earnings is that 10% of their sales is coming from e-commerce. P&G, right. I mean, you know, that's, that to be a double digit, L'Oreal said it was 20%. So, you know, this went from being, you know, a redheaded stepchild five years ago to being really at the pinnacle of where the revenue is coming from. And we also, I mean, Proctor has been interested in, in D2C for many years, but now it's actually becoming a reality. Um, and uh, I guess the, the, I want to dig in on one thing, which is uh, wearing my research hat, you know, we've been tracking 
the spread of digital assistance, not just within smart speakers, but also within phones. Um, uh, at the Center for the Digital Future, where uh, I was before I came to IB, we had a, a research project there. We found that uh, you know super seniors and super seniors were actually highly likely to be using Alexa, for example. So the, the question is, I'm sorry, what, what am I not, not allowed to say what? Yeah. So, uh, along with all of her ilk, right? There's the, she's, you know, she's got, uh, she's got a lot of friends in the digital assistant space. Um, I guess my question is, I'm quite interested in uh, some of the emerging technologies like digital assistants or heads up display. And I was wondering if uh, what key indicators Profitero is paying attention to in terms of not only just the behavior we have now, but new technologies that might be applying to e-com in the future? Well, I think for us, what we're trying to do is get as granular as we can. Um, I don't know how much digital assistance is going to play, play, but I think product discovery is really important. And uh, because of the diversification of retailers that are selling product right now, I think one of the things we really need to be paying a lot more attention to is the granularity of finding out how people can you know, f find the product you're looking for because the way people shop online is so different than the way people shop in store. One of the things that had happened with um, that smart speaker that you were talking about is that that means you actually have to know the product you want and you don't get the opportunity to browse. That becomes a lot more challenging. But when most people are searching, whether it's on their phone or uh, on the desktop, the aisle is endless. So how do you make sure that you stand out in an endless aisle versus an aisle that has limitations in, you know, height and width. Huh. Uh, well, how else are, are people's shopping habits different online versus in-store? Anything else you want to share with us that, that might be a useful nugget for people? Well, I think one of the things is, you know, the, sometimes you kind of default to the to the brand that you're looking for when you're in brick and mortar. Um, some some people call it sleep shopping. Um, <laughs> I've heard I've heard that term many many a shopper marketer. Um, you know, just kind of grab the thing that you always grab because that's what you know, that's what your kids know. When you're looking for things online, you might be looking for the product, but not necessarily the brand. And that becomes something that's much more helpful um, where the brands really need to make sure that they are discoverable and have all the right um, points to make somebody make a decision to buy them, whether that's ratings and reviews, good product content, assortment, availability, things like that because they may not have been exposed to your brand before because they were looking for um, a product, not a particular brand. That's really interesting. Um, I'm gonna have to keep thinking about that one and maybe we'll, we'll bring you back to, to dig in on that one. But let me ask one more question, which is conventionally the, my, the way I like to end is by talking with people about what they're doing to stay optimistic and connected. In your case, I wanna take one le more level, one extra level of detail, which is you're one of very few Orthodox Jews in our industry. I think of you, Jeff Minsky, Seth Haberman. And so I'm just wondering, um, you know, uh, having that, that lens on that question, which is what, do you, what are you doing? How are you, how are you staying connected to your family and friends? And how are you staying optimistic? Because you're a very optimistic person, but, uh, or at least you at least appear that way. So, so how are you keeping it up? So. I think, you know, one of the things that's been really challenging for, for, um, for me and, and my family is that the synagogues are closed and have been closed for, you know, six, seven wow. weeks. Um, and that, that's been the center, that's been the center of our social life. And in fact, my mom and my sister go to the same synagogue that I do. So um, that, that center point of community is lost. So it's not just about the prayer. It's also about 
um, the observance. I will say though, um, and I've said this before, even more so now, Sabbath has become so much more important to me because mm -hmm. there is no division between home and work right now. Like I'm working crazy hours because there's no commute. I don't have to catch a train. I'm not catching a plane. It's literally just walking out of my office and going to, you know, going to go clean the toilet or wash a floor or make a dinner or, you know, like there's always something try to secure a slot for delivery. Sabbath shuts it all down. And it forces me to unplug. And if I didn't have that, I think I'd go completely berserk. So I'm very thankful because that that really has given me the respite that I need. And that, by the way, is why we didn't try to schedule this interview for a Friday. So um, thank you. On that note, Sarah Hofstetter, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us on IAB there. And I hope we can have you back soon. I would love that. Thank you so much, Brad, and to the entire team at IAB there. Yeah. So on tomorrow's show, we will, we're excited to welcome Amobi's Chief Strategy Officer, Philip Smolin, who will be in conversation with Eric John of the Video Center of Excellence here at the IBIAB. They're going to be talking about the Upfront Reboot, reimagining the cross-platform video marketplace. For those of you watching this who are on the sell side, IAB is conducting a quick and anonymous pulse to help determine whether CPMs are up or down due to COVID-19. I beg of you, if you have not filled out this survey already, please do so. The link should be on our screen right now. It allows us to help you. Um, you can also go to iab.com survey. Uh, please do so. Uh, we're eager to share that information with you as we have been sharing it with you both here on IAB There and in general at the IAB. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Tufika Mahinadin. I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in again tomorrow because if it's a weekday and it's 2 p.m. Eastern, then you know it's time to IAB There. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye, everybody.